Perv. Slut. Wow! I hate myself. Perv. Slut. Don't make this fun! Perv. Slut. The Sexhibition. Perv. This is the Fleabag Research Project. I'm Yana Rankov, and I'll be your host. Oh, you got me. I don't carry a vagina around with me. <laughs> That'd be way too provocative. Hi, everyone. This is episode two of the Fleabag Research Project. My name is Yana Rankov, and I'm here with my friend Daisy Couture. Hi. <laughs> um, so, Daisy, how would you describe your relationship to Phoebe Waller-Bridge's Fleabag? Oh, um, I would say late blooming. Um, late blooming, I, of course, I, like I think it. it was like, yeah, like what it was, I think time has kind of lost all meaning right now, considering we're in, you know, fun times 2020, but yeah. let me try and go back in my brain to a time when time was real. Um, <laughs> Good I luck. Think, I think when it was, you know, when it was actually really huge and popular, was like last summer, right? Like that was when season two had come out and it was winning all the Emmys and I'd never heard of it before then. Um, not not really a whistle. I love TV and I'm, I'm, I've always been a much more of a TV person than a uh, movie person, but it just like had never popped up on my radar. Um, I had Prime Video, but like I never went on it to look for new stuff. Um, but then I, uh, I've always been, and this is perhaps shameful, but I'm, I'm going to say it anyways. Uh, I've, I have always been and continue to be a huge uh, Tumblr user. <laughs> Honestly, proud not at to this confess, point. Not, you know what, Daisy? I'm going to say what, like, not to confess on, like, something that will be public. Um, <laughs> it's like a decent, if you're going to waste your time online, at least it's anonymous. You know yeah, what I you mean? Yeah, you know what? It's anonymous. Yeah. And also, like, I can be basically as much as a fucking aesthetic bitch as I want and simultaneously just like my embarrassing fangirl self at the same time which I'm really into um and like yeah nobody I know follows on there maybe my best friend from high school but I don't even think that like my best friend from university like we both use tumblr a lot we never even shared our tumblr I would, URLs I would each other. never like, give anyone my url <laughs> I would never do that I completely oh, no. understand never absolutely not um but uh as I don't know if you've ever experienced there's a thing that I like to call tumblr watching which is where I feel like I've watched shows because I don't haven't watched them, but people I follow on Tumblr do and post a lot about them. And so this didn't really happen with Fleabag because, uh, I mean, I don't know if this has come up or if it will before, but like, you know, there's not like a huge amount of plot. <laughs> to Fleabag? Yeah, not like the most amount. And so I kept seeing gifts um, specifically of... Uh, the Priest. That was it. Season two would come out. Everybody was into The Priest. There was tons of this stuff. I don't really remember the first time I ever came across it or something, but there was like, there was stuff, you know, I saw like little things coming up and then like, you know, whatever, everybody kind of lost their shit about it. I remember seeing it at the Emmys and I was like, what is this? And I was like, okay, whatever. I'll get around to it eventually. Life got in the way shit happened. And then, um, one day and I think like maybe in November or something. No, that's probably too late. Maybe like October, November, but definitely like fall 2019, Am I totally messing this? Is this 2018? No, I think it's fall 2019. I think I watched it in the fall of this year as well. Maybe, yeah, so... maybe in the spring of 2019, but I didn't watch it. I did not, you know, watch it when it came out. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was this fall. Yeah, it was definitely this fall. And I knew that everybody was like loved it or whatever. And it was the big thing. And I was like, okay, I really should watch this. I haven't watched this. I need to watch this. And so I really didn't know anything about it besides that there was a hot priest or everybody loved Phoebe Waller-Bridge um and so I just whatever kind of dawdled my way over it was one night when uh Zach my partner was uh, at a late film studies class and I was like well I have some time to kill by myself I should do something I think it was like a Tuesday night or something uh, Wednesday I had a really early morning class <laughs> and it was my only day I had an early morning class and so I'd done whatever my readings and I was like okay you know I'm gonna give it a try I'll try the first episode. And then I watched the entire first season that night, like up until the middle of the night, just utterly sobbing. Just like it was it was the kind of thing like 2 a.m. in my room, just crying so hard. And was like I was so awake after I remember, like I didn't even go to bed right away because I was just so <laughs> You're changed. You're a changed woman. <laughs> Literally. Like it's terrible to say, but it, it absolutely was that. And then 
I eventually went to sleep at some point, very late so in the day. Did you just watch season one or did you watch both seasons? Oh, we're about to get there. So <gasps> yeah. then I got up early morning, went to my major seminar first thing the next day, went to my full day of classes. Wednesday was my really long day. And then I came home and was like, cool. So I'm not doing any readings. I have, I, I have work to do. Excuse me. Yeah, I'm and busy. then I watched yeah. all of the second season. <laughs> Absolutely. You see why I'm separating the project into just the first season, though. Hey, like, it's they answer each other. It would be very For difficult sure. to talk about both. I'm going to try. I feel like there's a couple times I'm going to have to bring up the second season, but I'm going to really right. try to keep it. And you know, you can always cut it out if you don't want to. And it totally did feel like it feels, I don't know, weird or like corny to say, but I literally did feel like there was like a before and after to my life of when I watched Fleabag. I completely agree with the like transformative nature of watching the show, which leads into, I think, one of the bigger questions mm -hmm. that I have. What makes Fleabag this unique to you or unique in general? Yeah, I mean, I think for me that has kind of two parts and that's uh, content-wise and formal-wise. Um, and I think I kind of go back and forth on the, the which, which one I like the most. Because obviously mm -hmm. I think you know, what a lot of people talk about, and which obviously is true for me as well, is that it has this just like, absolutely wrenching and honest, I think, portrayal of what being a young woman is like right now. Um, and the ways that it actually weaves grief and rage and humor together in those really um, intense ways. And so, you know, it is that, like, I don't think anybody can watch that show. I mean, I would be interesting to hear if anybody does have that experience of not being like, kind of emotionally wrecked and then built back up by it you know like it is something that gets you so hard in that way and it was something that I'd never watched before similarly like that like I'd never watched a show that I'd felt that intensely about um but then uh the part that I think I keep coming back to and that I still have so much joy in is the formal aspect of him specifically you know whatever I'd seen shows that broke the fourth wall I love you know, NBC sitcoms, I love The Office, I love Parks and Rec, stuff like that. But I never really watched a show that actually played with audience in that way with the direct addresses to the audience kind of consistently. And, you know, it's funny. That's part of what's so funny about it is mm. her constant flex way, but then actually get used so cleverly. Like, I'm specifically, there's a lot in season two, but also, you know, the season finale of season one, um, when you learn, you know, that she was the one who slept with his boyfriend and she's trying to run away from the camera. And so like, I'd never seen something like that before. And it felt so interesting. And so like, it felt like you were actually included in the show in that way. And also implicated in some ways as well. You know, it's both you're her confidant and you're also her one witness. of these people who's watching her suffer. Yeah. Um, so I think those were both um, really unique to me um, and something that I hadn't watched before. And part of what gave me that kind of intense, uh, emotional reaction to it and kept me coming back to it like I honestly was probably insufferable after I feel like I talked about it to everybody most of whom had already watched it of course I, I mean the one behind I feel like I I'm currently making a podcast about it because I think it's that much of like a unique experience that everyone that I've talked to who's watched the show has specifically young women who'll say it's genius they'll say you know it's Exactly what you said. It seems like the only show that portrays what being a young woman is like right now. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And I mean, I'm sure, you know, it's, I think it's speaking to a very particular subset of us too. You know, like it's at a very specific time. I don't know. I wonder if it will be super long lasting or loved by people outside of this, but I think it's specifically in this moment, you know, of kind of this, whatever, I don't even know what you'd call it. Like, this moment of kind of feminism and also whatever quote unquote like post-feminism idea um and the kind of intense uh kind of battle between the you know whatever patriarchal structures that are still very much in place and just like the outright misogyny that most people live with but also this kind of idea of sexual liberation and liberation at the same time and also even as being like you know kind of a middle-class white person as well like in the global north um which obviously it's kind of a subset but for me it had felt like something where i'd never felt that scene or recognized before in a show yeah. ever um and I often rewatched it like I often would rewatch kind of the whole first season or the whole second season multiple times like I think I did it three or four times and then I recently rewatched it kind of twice with other people and then for this podcast as well I'm so glad it's f very fresh in your brain because it 
one thing about the show is I think that the feeling of it sticks with you so much, but the yeah. forum that you mentioned, it's so innovative and funny mm-hmm. that you forget small aspects that make you laugh like outrageously. Oh, totally. Yeah. I feel like I always laugh at different parts. I remember when I watched it that very first time there, I watched the first episode and I liked it. You know, it's funny. It's kind of got all those shots, those kind of shocks. And then I remember, I very specifically remember the ending scene when, you know, she's gone to her dad's house. She's kind of had the breakdown in front of her dad. She's stolen the statue. She's in the cab. She's on the way home. And I felt so, I don't even know. I want to say disturbed, but not in, I feel like that's not the correct correct way to say it I felt totally like um but yeah I I felt disturbed in that night from them and I almost didn't watch the rest of the thing because I was like I feel like that really got to me for some reason like I was feeling I think pretty lonely at that time in my life um I mean I think there's always things especially I know I was having a bit of a rough time at that time and I kind of knew I was like this is I thought this was going to be funnier you know like there's two there's more grief and trauma here than I was expecting and I thought, well, I don't know if I want to keep watching. And then I thought, okay, you know, I'll just try another episode. And then it just kind of, I was in. Yeah. I was down the sinkhole. Would you like to talk about the statue a little bit? I'm really interested in what you have to say about it because it's such an interesting repeated symbol. Yeah, so I feel like I'll struggle. I'll try and keep it to season one here, but there's some things I feel like I gotta. Do it. Because it's super interesting. Because I know, I think, I think it operates on kind of two levels here. There's both kind of the role that all the characters recognize in the show and that's you know that she's this gilded golden limbless and headless woman you know she's like has this huge pair of tits on her um and I think that and you know people kind of they hint at it they're embarrassed about it they're awkward about it uh and about it's that idea you know it kind of goes on the idea about the commodification of bodies and about this is the this is the only thing that's valuable, you know, this is the only thing that you're worth anything for. Um, you know, it's not your, whatever, intelligence or your personality. It's not anything at all. It's literally devoid of all the things that, you know, we would think make us us, you know, it's, there's no agency in it. She's literally like passed around like a statue. She's like this prize, um, which I think, you know, that's, you hear a lot of them mention that, you know, uh, Fleabag talks about that. I think when she first grabs it and there's Claire and Martin, they, they all talk about that quite a bit. And I think that's definitely true. You know, it does operate in that way of this kind of ridiculous symbol um, of whatever the value of uh, women's bodies over anything else. But I think it's also really interesting because in some ways I also see it as it's not well, not an embodiment, but I guess a like a kind of concrete symbol and manifestation of grief in a lot of ways, too. Yeah. I know. It's a bit of a weird one. It's not one that it usually gets talked about. But I was thinking about this on the the rewatch that I did with um, Zach most recently was the one I was thinking about a lot. Because Thank you for showing it to him because I've been trying. I know. Yeah, I finally yeah. convinced him. <laughs> a bit reluctant, but we got there. Um, and it was... Um, so it's, again, tiny disclosure. But you find out in the very end, I think in... I can't remember what episode. I think sometime in season two. Second to last, you find out last that it's based on her mother. Mm. Yeah, you find out it's based on her mother. That this is uh, Godmother cast this based on her mom, her dead mom. And so, in so many of the ways, too, you know, it's the kind of there's all these warring griefs and traumas in the show. You know, obviously, Boo and the guilt around Boo having, you know, kind of accidentally killed herself and Felipe having slept with her boyfriend and all that. That's kind of, you know the huge one but there's also the death of her mother that runs through the background of all of it too that you kind of and you see so much around too and you see how after her mother died you know boo kind of stepped in and became a surrogate sometimes for her mother and then boo died and it was kind of her fault um and so i thought about it that way is that when you think about the statue as being based on her mother as actually being a way about what do you do with grief because it's that whole because if it's a symbol of her mother's body in that way and at the very beginning, even though Fleabag doesn't know it, she steals it from Godmother. You know, she takes it. She she's does drawn it to it. She's drawn to it. She's drawn to it. And Godmother's a fucking cunt. And she wants to steal it and take it away. God, I, I love does. the Godmother. Um, after this, oh, I'd God. love to talk about the comedic opportunities for women in the show because there's Oof. so many layers to it. Please keep going. Yeah, I'm let's really get into that after. Um, but in that way, and, you know, really at that stage, especially in the first couple episodes, 
the way that she's trying to get through her grief is by, you know, quote unquote, acting out, which I kind of hate the ways of, but you know, she is, she's getting super drunk. She's sleeping with all of these people. She's showing up at her dad's house and yelling in his mailbox. Like she's really doing this. And in that way, she like, she kind of steals this grief and takes with, you know, she shoves in her pants. You know, there's that great shot of her at the end of her, like kind of smirking up from the crotch. Yeah. This like phallic moment of her and she's, and she's shirtless in that moment as well because she's given her top away and she keeps being more nude and then she like has it just in her pants and it's such a powerful moment. She has a good handle on female power fantasies like that because there's the ending as well where she rides off on asshole guy's motorcycle. I'm not saying arsehole oh, guy is my – I can't do it. No, no way. Um, and so there's that way in that there's, you know, she steals this and it's the way I think about kind of like trying to run with your grief and take it with you but then of course she tries to sell it she tries to sell it to martin um and get rid of it she tries to make something off of it she tries to get rid of it and then of course it gets passed to claire as this present and it keeps getting passed around it's this thing that she can't get rid of you know it keeps getting passed mm. around it goes between and it moves between characters in the show you know martin and uh, a little bit too but really the three people it moves between is godmother claire and fleabag who are all the people who are kind of most directly implicated in the death of their mother, right? You know, godmother uh, yeah. benefited hugely off it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think probably feels some guilt and some weird shit deep down in there. And then, of course, Claire and Fleabag are trying to pass this back and forth continuously. Um, just constantly passing it back and forth. And they can't, she just can't get rid of it. It keeps coming back to her. You know, in season two, she tries to give, give it away as this prize and then has to give it back. Claire keeps giving it back to her. Um, but also I think there's some of the most interesting moments between her and Claire are actually when the statue's involved. You know, Claire steals it back for her after Godmother is terrible to her. You know, she makes, Claire makes Fleabag put it back and then Godmother is awful to her and brings up Boo and all of this stuff and Claire steals it back to her and gives it back to her. So it's kind of this way of them passing their grief around and both learning to deal with it. And at the end, you think that, you know, Claire is, you know, Fleabag's given it back for the final time. She's given up her grief. You know, that's it. She gives it back to Godmother. They have this nice conversation about it. They kind of both acknowledge that she stole it. And then you find out in almost one of the kind of last scenes of the show that, no, she's stolen it back again and she's taken it with her. And I think it's such an interesting way of, you know, first trying to kind of steal your grief and run away with it and act out of it and kind of escape it and then get rid of it. And then realizing that instead of, you know, giving it up, you are going to have to live with it. But maybe you're choosing to live with it this time in a more productive way than doing it anyway it's a bit it's not exactly a perfect thing but it's one that I was thinking about a lot I think it's a very productive reading of the Mm -hmm. statue I I am very convinced by this theory I think that's a really interesting (laughs) and like again productive powerful look to look at the statue Mm -hmm. with um what do you think about the way the godmother talks about it in her Mm -hmm. disgusting like artsy way where she says it's about women being subtle warriors strong at heart would you agree with that statement at all? Oh, God. Damn, Godmother. Um, I mean, not really. I mean, I'm not at all in the way of, you know, whatever. I think that there's a, the, whatever, the kind of whole idea about, you know, like sexual liberation, you know, whatever does, you know, your kind of sexual behavior and sexual expression is that feminism or empowerment, or I think it's whatever, it gets to use that kind of bullshit thorny issue in feminism. There's so many people who say, you know, who sexual liberation is totally a part of their feminism. And there's so many other people who know that's not, you know, what being a woman is. I don't know. I've never been particularly interested in that, I have to say, I guess. I know it's kind of, it's more of a second wave feminism thing because I think it really depends, you know, in certain contexts, of course, like kind of flaunting your body and recognizing that your body is currency and so using it. Um, sure, that's awesome. That's can be powerful and feel great. And having, being able to kind of use the idea that you are desired and beautiful and sexy to actually is means something and recognizing that it means something is great. So go for it. I mean, at the same time, though, I don't think it's the only way to do it. I don't think it's necessarily, uh, you know, the most important one. Uh, or I mean, not most important for everybody, but I just don't think it's, you know, a hard and fast rule of how you're going to become empowered or whatever. Um, I mean, Godmother's thing, I think, is mostly bullshit. I think she is in a very bizarre thing where she feels that the only way her power does come from is through sexual expression, but not particularly in the way of, uh, I find that often her character in the show and her sexual expression, instead of kind of supposed to be whatever, breaking free from 
patriarchal norms about, you know, whatever, women are modest, women's bodies are these commodities, nobody else can see them, only men are supposed to have them. I find that the way that she does it often kind of um, reinforces and recreates these misogynistic structures, right? You know, because she's actually like forcing this on so many people, right? Like when in her, the sex division, she's talking about how, you know, imp- she thinks it's so important for other women to see how her body has changed. So that, like it's so centered herself in it, which I think that's less empowering in some ways. And I think in a lot of ways, it's that that's the only way she feels powerful and including both, you know, exhibiting her own body, but also kind of having women, other women's bodies. Um, I think it's much more of a, a need to control other women in the sense of her own whatever liberation than it is about some fucking bullshit whatever subtle woman warrior in my tits i think that in my research and my rewatches tried to break down fleabag's humor and i think a lot of it derives from moments like the subtle warrior quote you know <laughs> being countered by fleabag saying she's got huge tits like what she'll get through the world yeah. and these moments of rejection of these mainstream feminism is the wrong way to put it but the sexual liberation aspect I think the tension between sexual liberation and how it's been used against women a lot as well Mm -hmm. is such a central tension within Fleabag and the godmother specifically will Mm -hmm. use her power I think her sexual power over Fleabag constantly and they seem to be playing this game back and forth where they understand exactly what they're they're the only people on each other's level when it comes to the scheming and the you know this like je ne sais quoi of sexual intelligence almost and tenacity around power dynamics I think they both realize really clearly that sex is a way that you gain power and also they both know how to manipulate it really, really well. Mm. But I think that's interesting there. And I would agree that it's, I think you can see, I mean, whatever, not to put them at war against you, because I don't think that's necessarily a, what it is. But in many ways, you know, part of what makes Godmother so funny and also just so fucking cringy and terrible is that way that she kind of embodies this very like second wave feminist idea. Exactly. Right? You it's know an, what I mean? It's an older generation yeah. that cannot adequately their feminism isn't adequate to our digital world anymore almost you know like they didn't grow up being able to click on porn not at all and it's that idea about you know kind of extreme sexual liberation in this way but also really rigid ideas about you know what is allowed and what is acceptable and also you know her ridiculous like commodification of what and kind of tokenism around difference and people who she finds exciting and interesting whereas I think one of the things that's really interesting that Fleabag shows, and I think you see you see it in some other shows too that are coming up around now, is kind of walking that line between what is liberation and what is exploitation, even when it's mm. yourself who's necessarily in control. Like it doesn't need to be somebody else really exploiting you in the way of, you know, what is actually, when is this actually fulfilling and when are you doing this because you think it's going to free you? Um, which I think, you know, you see with Fleabag a lot is she thinks that um, whatever this kind of all her sexual behavior and this I, kind of performance that she calls it, but, you know, being desired and being seen as sexy and being wanted is going to somehow fulfill her and deal with her grief and her rage and make her feel whole when in most ways it just leaves her feeling shitty <laughs> and still lonely. How would you describe perhaps in a broader question the relationship between sex and power and uh, as relating to men and women? I mean, I think it comes back a little bit to how the men and the women are portrayed differently in the show as well, which is that I think almost all the women kind of do wield this sexual power. You know, they're gorgeous and desired and um, have all of these sexual encounters where basically almost to like a complete T, I'd say, the men in the show are so weak and pathetic just like across the board except like maybe asshole guy but even he is like you kind of see the cracks and his ridiculousness stupid (laughs) is yeah yeah he's so dumb 
weakness, I think. And I mean, I do think I enjoy that is that the men are not given the complex, the complexities of the female characters around us, which I don't think is necessary. And I enjoyed a lot about the show. Specifically, asshole guy, I think his, I think he is in a role that's usually filled by a woman, this like arm candy that you bring around to impress the family, that Mm -hmm. she's out of your league kind of girlfriend. And it's funny to see that flipped in a lot of ways. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I think in so many ways, I think in some ways I enjoyed it is this, is that the men aren't tried to, they're not really tried Mm. to be complex. They're not supposed to be, I mean, her dad has, they all do have some complexity to them, but it's not the focus of the show. And I think it's not as much what it's concerned about. And the thing that I always see when I come across from that is kind of largely their weakness and how often they think that they're getting so much out of these sexual encounters when there's actually very little kind of genuine interaction or intimacy that's actually happening there it's really one-sided and they don't even know that it's one-sided um so I think it does point to the differences that men and women often find in sexual encounters with each other I'd like to ask what you make of or what you think about the relationship between the bank manager and Fleabag and why you think it's a part of the show how it comes up how does it make you feel just general thoughts about it Yeah, I mean, I think he's a really strange character to have in the show. Um, You know, he's this, like, like kind of textbook, you know, like, creep. He's, like, whatever, been, like, his company, you know, determined that he'd sexually assaulted a co-worker, you know, all of this stuff. Like, And so I find him so strange because I feel like on paper, thinking about a character like that in the show... I would feel super uncomfortable with it because I'm not, you know, particularly interested in the humanity of a molester you know, assaulters. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm not really interested in that. I don't really care. We get that shoved down our throats enough. I don't feel like I need it. Um, but I really like that character. I like him a lot. Um, I feel a lot of sympathy for him. Uh, and I really appreciate the place he plays in the show, which I find is strange and I do wonder sometimes about kind of Fleabag's fascination with him, the way, you know, she follows him when mm. um, her and Clara at the silent retreat. But I think it's it's a really interesting way because, I mean, I think he's actually the man who's probably played, portrayed the most complexly. But I think it the two things about it that I really liked was, one, he was really kind to her, which I often just was so desperate for anyone to be kind to her in that show, you know, so desperately wanting it. And he was which was so strange. And then I think also, though, that it actually really accurately deals with both, you know, the way that patriarchy and misogyny damages men, the way that they have to live with it as well, Um, which, you know, I think is, I think it's definitely accurate. It's not always something that I'm looking for. Um, But I think it's interesting. And I think it's important to show, you know, he's, he feels terrible. He hates the way his life has turned out. He has that, you know, that great speech when they're at the silent retreat about how mm. all of the things he wants. He wants to go home to his family. He wants, you know, his wife not to hate him. He wants yeah. all of this stuff. And he doesn't also try and defend himself. He never tries to defend himself about what he did or say, you know, oh, he's such a nice guy or he made a mistake or all of that. It's also yeah. part of who he is. And so I think I... in that way that it's also really important, which I do really appreciate that it is, is I think having him there kind of debunks the whole idea about which I think so many men believe so deeply in like a total lie to themselves that there's you know 90% of these good nice guys and then there's you know 10% of evil rapists when that's not true that's when basically every single man ever ever has exists on a spectrum of this and in their life are going to go you know we'd hope most of them spend most of their lives you know, whatever, respecting women and not being violent creeps. One but basically, hope. they're always there. And, you know, it's, I think it's interesting to note that that, that that exists all in one person. You know, he can be this kind person and he also did this thing. And those are both real and true about him. Uh, you know, I don't think he's necessarily forgiven or absolved in the show. Mm. But I think it's really interesting that, you know, he's not this, you know, violent man in a hooded cloak who you never see from again he's this person who fucked up really bad and probably still will. And who knows if he actually ever will get better, but they have this interaction, which I think is so fascinating about, you know, in this way, if Fleabag is going to represent, you know, 
it's very simplistic, but, you know, all women or whatever struggling against misogyny. And then he is this patriarchy and misogyny staring back at her. The interactions between them are so mundane in so many ways. But I mean, that's kind of the heartbreak of it. You know what I mean? Is most of, obviously, there are like times of overt violence that women face in their lives. But most of the times it's going to hit you, it's the mundane stuff, right? You know, it's the way you have to act around men or the way men treat you or the way you feel Mm. around men or tiny little comments that just add up. Like misogyny is not always like somebody fucking choking you and raping you. Like it's, it exists on this much larger um, point. So yeah, I know it's, it's strange. In some ways I feel like I should be more critical about him, but in other ways I like him a lot. I agree. I think he doesn't necessarily trouble the show. I think he mm-hmm. adds a really interesting amount of nuance to it. Him and Fleabag mm-hmm. seem to suffer under a very similar yoke. And one yeah. of the first things they say to each other is perv and then slut. And throughout the <laughs> yeah. entire show, those two are just under those labels. You know, they're so casually mm-hmm. thrown out there and they're funny, but he is suffering because he is under this yeah. like, He's a pervert. He is. And she's a slut. Yeah. And I love that also it's not as their kind of relationship develops through their couple meetings. You know, it doesn't end with, oh, you know, I feel like a weaker show would have said, you know, oh, you know, you're not a pervert. You're not a slut. You know, mm. I, I didn't. I didn't know you. I regret what I said. Because it's not. They're both true. They're true. Yeah. And they're also these full people who are living their lives. Um but they are also, you know, the things that they called each other. But yeah, I think he's a really interesting character. Another big central character is Claire, of course, and the sister, um, yeah. which we've talked about you are interested in. Would you, could you explain why specifically you find the familial aspect to that relationship so interesting? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I could go on forever to so stop me whenever you want. But um, in a lot of ways, I find it really interesting for, well, there's a couple things. I mean, so there's both the things about the show. So in so many ways, ways, Claire is the only person who you actually get to see really in relationship with Fleabag. Mm. In so many other ways, she's always so alone in the show, you know, both obviously emotionally, she's so lonely and isolated, but also like if you see her in a lot of shots, you only ever see her in the shot, she's alone. There's often, she's not ever really having these conversations with people there's just kind of these awful things that are happening at her you know what I mean or around her but Claire is actually a character who she actually is in relationship with and throughout the entire show you meet her in the first episode she's in I think actually every single episode or almost all of them even if she's only there for a second and that's actually a relationship that goes throughout both seasons both full seasons so you actually you bring you get so many different sides of Fleabag that you would never see there before which I think is so fascinating um and also I really do think, I mean, obviously, you know, there's this, it's the idea about, you know, the first season is about trauma and grief and rage, and the second season is about love. That's the idea, you know. Fleabag tells you at the beginning of the second season that this is a love story, when she's sitting there with all the blood coursing down her face. But I really find that the two things that I feel like tie both seasons together, because in so many ways, they're really different, right? You know, they're, she's really different between the two seasons. And I really like what you said about how the second one's an answer to the first one. But I think the two things that really tie it together are the statue and her relationship with Claire. Because, you know, the statue is what keeps coming back and forth throughout both the two seasons. And then also Claire. And I really find that her relationship with Claire, in many ways, for me at least, is the real love story of that of the show between the two of them. Um, I would and agree about with the you. Ways- and one of the ways I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge signifies it mm-hmm. is that Claire says a lot of the things that really, really change our perception of Fleabag. She calls her her broken sister mm-hmm. at one point, which just completely changes the relationship, I think. Like, after she says that, you're I like, think, yeah, yeah, Claire's worried. Exactly. And I think yeah. one of the things about that is so interesting about her, too, is that besides that, you know, she is kind of the only, especially in the first series season, the only person that you really see Fleabag loving and who you actually know loves Fleabag, even though their relationship is super tense and awkward and obviously really, really intense, you do actually know that they do love each other. And so there's there's that care throughout and their relationship develops. But also what I think is so fascinating is that it becomes obvious pretty immediately, or not immediately, actually, at the end of the show, although you kind of get hints of it at the beginning, is that 
Claire's the only person who actually knows Fleabag more than we do as the audience, right? Because we have this idea when you're when you're welcomed into kind of her brain and herself, it feels so wrenchingly on. She's so personal, you know what I mean? Like you're she's looking at us during sex when she's yeah. on the toilet. She's talking about yeah, performance. She's, your she's friend. confessing all of this. She's stuff. your friend. You're friends. You know each other. Totally. And like you, you feel like you are so inside her brain, right? Like mm-hmm. You feel like you see all the worst parts of her and the best parts of her. Like, you feel like you were so immediate there. And then one of the scenes that I think, of course, is I think probably the hardest to watch in the show and that I still like, can barely get through is in the season finale of season one when she's at this exhibition, she's gone drunk, she's dropped the tray, and then Claire shows up with Martin when before you think that she's going to leave Martin and she's going to, whatever, you know, give Fleabag all this money and she's going to go to Finland and it seems like it's wrapped up. And then you realize that, Martin has convinced her that yeah. he didn't try and kiss Fleabag. She just tried to, to point kiss out, him. just to point out, when she does drop the tray, she's standing next to a woman robbed, which is the art piece that the statue is missing from. Which, Ooh. yeah, and so it's also good. That great shot composition with Martin and Claire in the back. Just exactly. These like silent statues, almost. Oh, God, it's so awful to see them when they walk in. But in that scene, which is so hard, is when you know is so interesting because then of course what Claire says is you know they get into this fight and and Fleabag says you know you have to believe me you know you're my sister you have to believe me and she says how can I after what you did to Boo and we are suddenly let in on the fact that she slept with Boo's boyfriend which is so interesting because it's I mean that scene is so awful to watch because it's so heartbreaking to see Claire betray her in this way and you know, I mean, it's the most obvious thing about a woman not getting believed about her sexual assault. It's the most fucking common thing in the world, but it's still, you know, it's so wrenching. But also in the ways that we've been betrayed in that way too, you know, we thought we knew Fleabag. We thought we knew everything Mm. about her. And then it turns out that we didn't. She was hiding that from us, that even the self we were given was a performance and that actually Claire knew it the whole time. And so that kind of our position totally gets betrayed and unsettled too. And that we thought we were this confidant, this person, this closest person, when actually Claire knew more than us the whole time and has been in there this whole time. So I think it's such a, it's such a destabilizing dynamic of the audience too there. Um, Cause she is in this way, like this secret keeper for Fleabag and knows these awful things about her, these terrible, terrible things that, you know, she did kind of the worst things about her in her life, but she knew them from the beginning of the show. You know, she knew them before the beginning of the show and their relationship was continuing throughout this. So obviously it comes out in this incredibly hurtful way. But I think it is just such a fascinating character in that way about she kind of, she just changes their relationship with the audience so much there. And of course their relationship is just so important going throughout. Yeah. Um, Phoebe Waller-Bridge really puts a lot of emphasis on their relationship, I think through giving Claire that power. And that ties in well with something I wanted to ask you about uh, the way you answered in the survey about who you think the most high status mm-hmm. character is. I'm, mm-hmm. I was interested that you brought up Claire, but reading your justification mm-hmm. about her being like a, just a high status woman makes sense. But mm-hmm. now that you say that she is the secret keeper and the destabilizer, mm-hmm. that does make her an incredibly high status character. She flips the whole show on us in a way that I the other characters so. can't. Yeah. And it's so just fascinating in that way. I think, I think she plays such an important role in the show. Um, which is so interesting. So there's kind of, you know, the reasons I love her is that I think you get this really fantastic relationship between the two of them. Then she plays this incredibly important character. I also think she's really funny. She is among my favorite comedic performances. And part of it is just like how deeply I recognize this anxious woman who's barely keeping it together, but who has so much love to give that is locked away. She delivers, I think the actress is just fucking brilliant. She delivers so many of the lines so perfectly and just her body language is just brilliant. I know, yeah. And then the final yeah. reason that I really love the sisters so much and I honestly, I keep coming back to is the heart of the show for me and the thing that I get the most out of is that I really relate to them. I have an older sister who my relationship is not unlike their relationship with. Um... I see a lot of myself both in both of them, actually. I see a lot of my sister in both of them. Um, And it just like wrecked me when I watched the show because I had never seen anything like that either. You know, most, there's very few portrayals of sisterhood, I would say, that are actually like that. You know, most of the 
kind of classic betrayals are, you know, you have your classic, you know, estranged siblings who, you know, hate each other and they fight and they're always really competitive. It's like, it's a weird vibe. You get the kind of... Yeah, it doesn't seem real. I don't really know siblings like that. Yeah. No, but then I'd say probably the most common and often in a lot of like feminist pieces of media too, is you have these sisters who are like the kind of like, I don't know, like, what would you say? I guess like the epitome of the like feminist sisterhood. You know what I mean? They of love course, each other. Like, they do anything for each other. They only speak to each other in terms that they've read on Twitter. They valid. They say, I validate you to each other. Literally, you know, like they're yeah. whole, like it's just like cloyingly sticky. Like, and I mean, in some ways, it's fun because you know you want to see women loving and supporting each other, and we so rarely get that. That you know, like it feels fun to have, but just like that never made any sense to me, and it was never what I saw myself in at all. And so, like, it just felt so unreal to me. And so, both seeing kind of the the kind of complex and nuanced way that it was allowed to be and also the way that I just felt so much identification with those two characters both them individually and their relationship with each other I was just kind of like blown out of the water for it and it's like still what I keep coming back to just over and over and over again and I think it's a great admittance of the fact that your siblings are just very different people and they're gonna grow up different and you're gonna change and they're gonna have a partner that's gonna be their life in a lot of ways and Mm -hmm you're going to maybe have a partner as well. And I think it's so interesting in so many ways too, because like part of them is that they're so different. You know, Claire is this Mm. like, they're hilarious. Like, you know, Fleabag is so loose. You know what I mean? Like her limbs are always all over the place. She's slouching. Her clothes are loose. She has this like kind of little bob that's all over the place. And Claire is so rigid. You know, she's like wearing these suits. She's so upright. You know, she looks like she's barely breathing that actress some of the times. I know. She's but so think, brilliant. I just, I'm so in awe of her so ability good. the whole time. Oh, literally in awe. But then I think that so much of the interesting stuff is you also continually see throughout the show how similar they are too, right? You know, they desperately want to think of each other as different. And you keep seeing how similar they are just consistently across the thing. One of my favorite episodes in the entire show, actually, um, but especially when I'm thinking about this, is is it episode three or episode four? Um, The episode that they go to the silent retreat together, um, which both has so much, because you do really see their relationship and their sisterhood in that way, and that, like, they think they really find each other funny. Like, they laugh at each other's jokes all the time, you know? Like, that classic great scene when they're standing outside and, yeah, the massagist men all yelling, the better men that's what they're called and you know Fleabag has that hilarious line where she turns around and says yes you know it's it's people love that (laughs) line it's hilarious it's super funny but then I think what's equally funny is that from their dynamic what's been established before you kind of expect that Claire the way she's been set up would go like oh you know shut up don't say that like what are you doing but what she actually does is she looks at her and goes we're gonna die here we're gonna be raped and die and is like pissed off you know which I think is they're so similar in so many ways. And there's a line that I just love in that uh, episode too, when they are, it's the first night that they're there and it's freezing cold. And you actually see this really interesting moment where um, Claire reaches out as like with an offer of affection to Fleabag. She says, you know, do you remember when we were little and we used to, I think, lie top to toe in a bed, like they lie in the same bed together. And uh, Fleabag immediately shuts it down. She says, no, we're not doing that, which is really interesting because so much of the time she's desperately looking for this affection and at this point it's actually getting offered to her and she turns it down. But then I think it's so interesting is Claire, you know, kind of says, oh, I wasn't suggesting whatever, you know, shut up. But then Fleabag says, you know, it was cute when we were 10, but now we're 30 and angry. And I think that that's so much of them is that actually their rage and grief especially is so similar across the show it manifests in really different ways but like essentially their rage especially is so similar and kind of runs along that same wavelength um even though it comes out in very very different behaviors um specifically that episode i think has a really interesting way of bringing them closer because it's the one that's so central Mm -hmm. about the two of them uh what phoebe waller bridge does i think is de-age them in the silent retreat and they just kind of turn into these children these girls again who are giggling and they Mm -hmm. get in trouble with you know like this like headmistress type who tells them off and they like have to talk about it and I also think it's a brilliant move to put these two characters who desperately need to talk to each other 
or just in a completely silent place and Fleabag cannot function unless she's talking. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think it's interesting too in the way that I think it's also really key that they're not um, at their dad's house too. Cause I mean, Mm. I don't know if you ever feel this with your own family, but I definitely feel it in the way of that. Like when my entire family is together or obviously, you know, their step, their godmother who has suddenly stepped into this role. I feel often so trapped within those dynamics that they can't change. You know what I mean? I'm the youngest sibling Mm. and I will find myself being like so childish in ways that I would never mean to be like, you know, in lots of flea bag ways, because you're the youngest, you're supposed to be the irresponsible kind of foolish one. And, you know, Claire is always trying to kind of control her and rail her in and, you know, look down on her and disapprove. But the, the fact that they're actually away from that, they actually get are suddenly much more on, on much more equal footing, um, which I think is so fascinating. And like what you were saying about status too earlier, which I think is so interesting, because one of the things that I, I thought a lot about when you asked me that question is that I thought I had kind of some quick answers. And then I realized that I think was, as with kind of most of the best complex characters, is that often the status that they're seen as and the status they see themselves as are really different. Um, high status characters don't always feel like high status characters. Um, and I think that that's kind of true for our main characters, especially. Like, I think Fleabag sees herself as a really low status character in a lot of ways. Um, you know, she's the tra- traumatized one. She's the one who, you know, can't behave properly. She's the littlest. Um, and I is desperately really trying to gain you on that. Well, this is the thing, though. I think she's desperately trying to gain status in all of mm. these ways, right? You know, she is doing all these things to become a high status character. But I think especially in her family, she is seen as the most high status. I think a lot of the times, I think Godmother feels threatened by her because she's so high status. But I think she doesn't see herself that way. And I think the same thing with Claire too, is that Claire is basically, you know, when you do like status exercises and like whatever drama and stuff, she's basically got all the high status markers. She's super wealthy. She's described as being gorgeous. She's Her got rigidity, it's wealth is very high status exactly. that's a high status move exactly but at the same time you realize that to fleabag she feels incredibly low status right you know like she feels like she is not going to be fine she doesn't, she doesn't feel cool she feels boring and she's really jealous of her and they are really jealous of each other all the time which i think is so interesting about them is that yeah the status that they feel and the status that the others see them as are rarely the same um i think a central Motif may be the wrong word, but I think Fleabag confuses humor for status. And she (laughs) thinks that being funny will get her status. And she thinks that being funnier than the men she's with gets her status. Mm -hmm. And that's why I think she thinks she's a high status character. Or maybe she tricks herself and us into seeing her as this high status character because she's funnier than everyone around her. But does that really give her status? Does that make her high status is the question. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the things that's so interesting about her is that she wants the status so much and is always looking for ways to become high status. I think humor is, I really like the way you put that. I think it's a totally way that she's doing it. She's doing it through sex. She's doing it through totally, you know, the kind of more public breakdowns that she has. You know, she's trying to get control and get status. But I think that she fails to recognize the ways that she actually has status a lot of the time. I think her father is a good reminder of her status. You know, her oh, father. God, yeah. yeah, her father. The lowest not only is he pathetic, you can ever see. <laughs> what a, what a, I think specifically the caricature of those two characters somehow yeah. intersects so well with who they are as people. <laughs> like this, like, incredibly like the godmother you know who who's this like high status witch you know she's evil she's so mean but she's hilarious and polite and this man mm-hmm. cannot finish a sentence you know and literally just fluttering like, through anything exactly and it's like a caricature but that's i've met those people yeah. oh my god yeah of course those were the two that I feel like, I mean, besides Claire and her sister, who I see so much, uh, Claire Fleabag and her sister Claire, who I see so much in, I feel like her dad and her godmother are the people who I just recognized so well. Yeah. I mean, Claire and Fleabag are the most so that I feel the most personally into, but like, I just feel like I know those two, like, in family members so mm. much, you know what I mean? And my high school best friend's stepmother is such a godmother. Oh my God. She's what, a, what a horrible worse. thing to say. 
I yes. mean it with all of the <laughs> God, she's awful. Oh my God, the ex-boy, like Harry. I see some ex-boyfriends in Harry. Harry, I think, is a really interesting character when it comes to Fleabag's status because she is so bad to him. Like on every rewatch, I'm yeah. shocked with how little Phoebe Waller-Bridge holds back. But you're laughing at him so much because he's pathetic, you know? I have to and say. just can't take him I... seriously. She's so terrible to him. I mean, like, when she surprises him in the shower with the knife, like, it's terrible. But I have to say, I think I loathe almost no one in the show more than Harry. Like, I think I have more sympathy for Godmother than I do a Harry. I have really? no feelings for Harry. I just despise him. Yeah. I think, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's because I feel like I have ex-boyfriends who I mm. see very much in him. I think I just find I particularly despise that in men is the kind the of Harry. nice guy facade but with so much weakness and inability mm. to mm. hold it up or stand yeah. up to anything. He's such a pathetic character. You know, like he sobs and whimpers in a shower. Like he's so pathetic. He's crying like he's cleaning the house after their breakups, like all this stuff. But there's also like, he totally uses that in a manipulative way too. You know what I mean? Like, and when he tells her that, you know, he's hidden like their sex toys, you know, they're going to have to surprise each other. Like all of these things that he's not giving to her and he just like I think I just hate that the most I hate the I I just would so much rather like the overt misogyny you know what I mean in mm. attempts to control and manipulate me because at least those you can be like no fuck you you know what I mean like you're trying to do this and often those people are also more willing to accept it where like that kind of whole nice guy facade like manipulating through this like weakness in emotional ways like being like oh I love you so much you know what I mean like that way being like I find I just loathe and I have zero sympathy for and I I maybe that's meaning I am a terrible cold-hearted bitch but I just despise Harry even in my most recent rewatch I was like get out (laughs) I do I do have disgust disgust for the week I will say I however read (laughs) Harry quite differently I think like Claire he's the person that knows Fleabag the most Um, oh interesting yeah and I think he is a glimpse into who she used to be. And mm. he says, after I think the first breakup, he says, mm. you can't say I haven't been there for you. I've tried. And when yeah. Bus Roden hits on her um, and she describes him, she says he was very affectionate. Yeah. My friends and family loved him. And to mm. me, it reads more as a relationship that might not have been passionate and star-crossed lovers, but oh. one that deteriorated because Fleabag just started abusing him in a lot of ways. She just, like, has so much sexual power over him. And that is my read, at least. I could see it for sure. I think he's definitely in kind of this time capsule or, or like, a fossil of who she used to be in this Mm. way and what she used to be with her. But I also think it's, like, who she used to be willing to accept. You know what I mean? And, like, I think the lower standards. I, I feel like... I never feel like he knows her very well. And that's part of what I think is this awful thing about it. I definitely, I love that way that you've read that about kind of you, this, he's kind of the only glimpse in her past before this trauma. Mm. But yeah, I, I feel like that's partly why maybe I loathe him so much is that he's, you know, whatever, he's nice. Her family likes him, whatever. He's affectionate. He plays guitar. He sings these little songs. You know what I mean? But he's, I feel like I can't imagine that he ever really knew her. Oh, also I hate his songs. I hate his little notebook that he writes to found he's just such a character of like the indie nice guy and oh I hate it <laughs> um, I also Harry is one of my favorite performances just because his like continuously wet eyes it just it just, just glimmer like, yeah, I know hilarious and another this is probably one of my favorite parts of the show during this exhibition where mm-hmm. there's just a neutered <laughs> plaster of harry it's just this admission the admission is what gets me it's so funny to me that the godmother also sees him like that and just neutered him he is yeah that is a very very funny scene that oh god it's funny and i'm i mean yeah all the ways that i have to say to that like the characters that i just totally despise and hate i still adore the actors and i think that they have done all of them just like phenomenal performances across the board from like Olivia Coleman as Godmother. I just think they are all incredible. Um, I think they that they straddle. are basically everybody in that show. 
is doing like a show-stopping performance. <laughs> they straddle the tragic and the comedic so well. And another favorite performance is mine. I think an underrated performance is Asshole Guy. And just this, oh, like, he is good. And there's this one shot where he like lifts himself out of the out of the tub, <laughs> and he just gives her this like intense stare. He's so oh, yeah, well that was. And he says, "What are you most afraid of?" or something. Oh fuck! Do you ever get lonely? God, what a great. That's such a funny scene. I know. Um, this is perhaps sadly a parting question because I want to try and keep these interviews uniform in around under an hour. Um, I just wanted to thank you on the air. This has been an incredibly interesting and productive interview. I think you've said so many perceptive and interesting things. Once again, one of the reasons I made, uh, I'm making this podcast is because Fleabag asks whether other people feel like this or if she's completely alone. And I don't think she's Mm -hmm. completely alone. And I think we should talk about it. The parting question I have is, why do you think moments are included such as her reading a headline that says private school head assaults pupil assaults pupil in class Mm -hmm. or she helps like a drunk woman get into the cab why Mm -hmm. do you think these moments of very real world sexual violence exist within the show yeah well I mean I think one of the most the thing about that right is that it would be easy to I don't know I guess write off the show or excuse the show as being about, you know, these kind of really extreme personal traumas, right? You know, her mother's died and then this kind of crazy thing has happened with her family um, and then her best friend has died. But I think that so much about it, sure, you know, these are these two like specific traumatic moments that she is trying to work through. But in so many of the ways, it's actually just these happen to be the spikes in the context of what's been going on her entire life and everybody's entire life. Um, I think it's so important to kind of ground it in that w- that's just what this experience is. You know, it's not, this is the world as it exists. And maybe these are kind of sharp um, and extreme manifestations of it, but that kind of sexual violence is the environment in which all of this is taking place. Um, and so it's not just her, it's not just these moments you know, maybe this might be the most intense moment, but it's, you know, it's not just these two kind of extreme losses that have made her feel so cynical and lonely and lost. It's actually part about trying to exist in the world um, as a woman on a larger scale at this time, you know, um, which I think is uh, really interesting, really important in that way is that it's, yeah, it's not just, you know, this moment of individuality. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Um, coming on the show. I listen to too many podcasts. I'm adopting the lingo. Thank you so much for letting me do this interview with you. Thank you for filling out the survey and for all of your very thoughtful, beautiful answers. Any parting remarks that you have on Fleabag? Anything, some last things you want to get off your chest you didn't get a chance to talk about? Do we have any parting remarks? I'll to check my notes to see really quickly if there's anything we didn't I get love a chance you to have talk notes. about. Thank you. Oh, I have so many notes, Yana. You don't even know how many notes I have. Um, do, do, do. Where is it? Yeah, I mean, I just think it's it's such a such a breath of fresh air and relief in that way because it wasn't she wasn't that kind of that kind of cheapened like neoliberal ideal of femininity, which was just kind of the standard strong woman, you know, your classic whatever you know Marvel black Garbage. widow character who gets yeah. passed off. Yeah, just being yeah. a Twitter algorithm know, oh, yeah, was no. used to figure out what feminist word is trendy at the time literally yeah it's not this you know she's cool she's spunky she's sexual she's smart and in the way that she did just get to be like so flawed and you know lost and you know even abusive in these ways like I think that that was so important even in their like even in her relationships with other people too you know what I mean that like even the relationships that are like life-giving that are the hope with what you know Claire and Hot Priest if you're talking about later on but they're they're not perfect and they're not these beautiful things they take work and they take energy over difference and Mm. sustained connection and they fall apart and they're messy and they're tense and they're awkward and that you still have to try and love people through it and love people past it um which is what I think I loved so much about it is that you know it's it's kind of that idea about how, you know, you don't have to be 
you're not perfect and you're not showing up and there are these terrible things about you, but you are still worthy and you are still going to grow and you are still capable of love um, and deserving of love, um, which I find so much. Like, I know a lot of people talk about the show as being, you know, really cynical or... Uh, vulgar it just seems very real these are real things these are real problems these I are never... real people that I've met and I like am around yeah. and I exist with them oh my god yeah I never found them very c- cynical or vulgar like whatever sure she's like talking about going to the bathroom and sex but like never that so much but more like I don't know I feel like I really loved or not loved I mean because it was sad but I really empathized with her loneliness and how lost she felt all the time, and how she was searching for connection, even with all these people who were terrible to her sometimes, or great to her other times as well. Um, Yeah, and I just think it was such an interesting exploration of, like, what do you do with, like, the grief and rage that you have to exist with as a woman? Because, like, you know, whatever, I feel like in so many ways in the world, like, I'm, you know, I'm very privileged in lots of ways I'm a you know kind of middle class Canadian white woman but and you know who's like I've been in many ways I've been shielded from a lot of misogynistic violence and a lot of stuff and yet I and whatever I guess I could be more I'm in some ways I'm more of a Claire than a Fleabag in that way you know I'm pretty I don't know buttoned up I guess and can be a bit of a a bit cold and a bit controlled and feel the need to control things but just like Sometimes I feel like, you know, you're, you just have no idea what to do with all, like, your rage. (laughs) You know, what am I supposed to do with all this rage and this grief that apparently I'm just supposed to continue on in the world for? And, like, sometimes all you just desperately want to do is yell through someone's mailbox or drop Mm. a glass of trays. And I think in that way, of course, that last line, like you said about, you know, either everyone feels like this and nobody is saying anything or I'm completely fucking alone is what she says, like in total tears. And that is so much of the time is that show is, you know, even though it's kind of that scene is such an illustration of her isolation and loneliness is that kind of is like, like I remember bursting into tears when she said that because that is exactly how I felt, you know, and it meant you weren't alone. And so even in bizarrely, even it's the show is so much about loneliness and like these really hard, difficult, like sharp emotions of grief and rage in so many ways, just the feeling that maybe you're not alone even makes that so much better. And, you know, maybe that, like, I don't know, I don't think you can really recover straight up from grief and rage. Like, obviously, you know, there's trauma you can, but that you can continue and that, you know, love can exist at the same time as these things. I just found, like, basically everything that that show got me was that, you know, what am I supposed to do with this rage and this grief? I can't put it down. I just have to keep living with it. But you're not and alone in it. With it in that. Exactly. And that makes it easier. Somehow, it makes it easier. Absolutely. And it's so nice to, I think you said it before, to feel seen. To just be like... Yes. Yeah, thank you for understanding for Phoebe Waller-Bridge. I very yeah. often prescribe Fleabag to my friends. They'll have like oh certain my God, yeah. and I'll be like just watch Fleabag. It'll just, it'll tell you, just, just watch it. Phoebe Waller-Bridge will tell you. Because yeah, I know in some ways, like, I feel like sometimes watching the show feels like, like an endurance test. You know what I mean? Like you're like, oh, it's cringy. It's rough. It's so like, it gets so much much delight in it. I feel so taken care of. And so like inspired watching it. I have a very different. I feel like it's at the bit of the same time. Like it's, it is that kind of both the same time and often, I mean, I think you see that too, like even in like whatever uh, the relationships with each other too, like whatever, you know, sure, Claire and Fleabag have to like endure the same stuff. They endure Godmother, they endure the world, they endure everything you have to deal with. But also they actually get to witness each other as they are. And even just them witnessing each other, you're also getting seen in that way. You know, you're the way that Fleabag looks in the audience this way. Sure, you know, you're implicated in, her performance and her um whatever you know trauma but also that you're included in that as well and yeah yeah, it feels like you feel like you're being seen and you also get to witness other people witnessing other women especially witnessing each other in these 
moments, which I think, yeah, in that way is totally life-giving. Have you heard people say, we live in a society? We live in a fucking society, but Fleabag gets to actually show so much of it, I think, so in many ways, really generously and tenderly, um, but also doesn't shy away from just the violence of it, um, which I really appreciate. I mean, I think I'm always struck by its moments of intimacy and tenderness and its kind of moments of extreme violence, um, which I think is great because, you know, I think a lot of the times, I mean, especially as a young person, I mean, we're, we're a lot younger than Phoebe Waller-Bridges or Fleabag is supposed to be mm-hmm. in the show, but so the much of the time I feel inspired. like I don't know. About Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Um, the show was inspired, no, she it. said, by the cynicism she felt in her 20s. She says that in a Vogue interview. Yeah. So it makes sense that we would relate. Yeah, and I mean, I think in so many ways it's, I don't know about you, but I feel like often, you know, I'm constantly searching for, um, like, some way. I'm, I feel like I'm always looking for intimacy and I'm trying to find mm. intimacy and, you know, tenderness and love and all of these things. And then I feel like I always get pulled back from it because of, you know, maybe the rage and grief that I worry are sometimes, you know, parts of me that I will never be able to give up on or you know, the terrible things that are continuously happening in the world. And it feels like, but I think I love Fleabag so much in the ways is that it wasn't, they weren't mutually exclusive. You know, they both, they actually did all exist at once together in the same world. Um, And yeah, there are, you know, these terrible moments of trauma and violence that you're going to suffer, but there's also, um, will be a lot of moments of intimacy and tenderness in it too and those I mean those are often the ones that break my heart hurt even more like obviously Mm. you know I always cry when Claire um doesn't believe her and you know I cry when fucking godmother is awful to her but I really always cry um at the end when she's talking to um the bank manager like those moments of kind of small tenderness are just like they get me even harder than all the moments of kind of grief and rage well thank you so much daisy once again um it has been a pleasure talking to you i will get back to you on how the project goes overall you will be informed thank you for being one of the first participants <laughs> i certainly really appreciate it daisy could yeah, everybody um... drum roll <laughs>